Welcome to the sixth podcast in the Financial Frameworks series. Financial Frameworks is dedicated to helping you create a stronger financial decision-making process by using interdisciplinary tools that make finance personal and integrates your values with these tools. Do you want to become smarter about money as you move through life? Is financial security and knowing how it happened important to you? And always my third question, do you know what you don't know about solid financial decision-making? If those questions are interesting, you should enjoy the next 15 minutes or so. This podcast continues working through the four applied concepts for analyzing decisions that I think are great cut-to-the-chase tools, namely looking at decisions through the four lenses of cash flow, profitability, return on investment, and risk clarification. Today, we will look at return on investment. Return on investment measures the results of an investment in a specific time period. For example, I put 1000 into a 401k today. A year from today, the balance is 1100 The result is a $100 gain. 100 divided by 1000 is a 10% increase or return. That's the math for return on investment. However, thinking about future benefits or profits in broader terms than just the math, including all of the elements that go into a return or an investment decision, is a valuable financial framework tool, and that's what we'll be talking about today. In addition, I will outline some practical, personal, and work-related situations, look at some examples of why thinking about return on investment as clearly as possible is a benefit to you. There are many factors that have made capitalism work, but three significant underlying principles are, number one, the rights of individuals to own property. Number two, English common law, which is supportive, not restrictive, of innovation. And three, deferred gratification. Deferred gratification is the notion that an individual will forego acquiring something today some sort of benefit or object or pleasure for achieving something more valuable tomorrow or farther out in the future. Additionally, deferred gratification works because we have confidence that within the bounds of law, legal and societal norms will not interfere with foregoing that benefit. Investing and waiting for an accrued benefit is a powerful personal and societal force. A host of writers, especially those writing about immigration, have described how entire generations have foregone material things for a better future for the next generation. Alexis de Tocqueville, writing in Democracy in America in 1831, described how important education and self-improvement were to a large percentage of Americans, underpinning their belief that these activities would produce better futures. There's two points here. Return on investment is not just a formula. It is a thinking and measuring process that works best with thoughtful input. Secondly, if you're going to invest and collect increased value in the future, shouldn't you be as clear as possible about that process? Doesn't it make sense that if you are clear, you will produce higher returns and better results? You make decisions every day that cause funds to go out the door or remain in your wallet for other uses or for savings. So the basic return on investment questions for you in this podcast are, one, how do I measure how I use my funds? Number two, when I commit to a goal or objective, 
Am I counting everything that goes into achieving that goal? Am I being clear about the projected result of the benefit or financial gain? Those questions will cause you to be clearer about whether you are getting the value you want for the uses of your money and are getting a good return. For example, you chose to buy a $42,000 vehicle, not a $37,000 vehicle. Did the additional $5,000 produce benefits that you can point to as worth it or not? A personal example, the last SUV we bought offered a package with yellow electronic warning lights in the side view mirrors so that I could see cars that were about to pass me. The SUV without the lights was $3,000 less. The lights were part of a package that had a bunch of stuff that I would never use. I really would have liked to have had the lights, but they weren't worth $3,000 to me. If you asked me to diagram the decision or apply ROI, the benefit number for me, because of the price, would have been very low. Now let's look at another example with more significant consequences. Let's assume that you've been working for a couple of years and have contributed to a 401k at your company. What is the return on the 401k? Could it have been better? Do you know what fees were deducted? Do you understand what investments the fund holds that are generating your returns or losses because a loss is a negative return? You're not actively managing the investment. But what do you need to know to be clear about your expectations for future returns? My answer is that at the very least, you need a solid framework for understanding the concept of returns so that the calculations are meaningful to you. Here is the basic formula. Return on investment is equal to profit or benefits divided by investment, where the result is expressed as a percent. In the formula, profits equals revenues minus expenses and taxes. The investment, the denominator, equals the amount spent on the asset, the investment, or the project. Returns are usually given for a specific time period, and they're almost always on an annual basis. For example, if you invested $1,000 in stocks in one year with no more contributions and the brokerage firm deducted a $5 fee, the balance at the end of the year is $1,095. Your return is 9.5%. What most individuals do at that point is compare the 9.5% with other published returns for stocks or mutual funds or other investments. They compare to see how well they did. From my perspective, the strength of an ROI is a measuring tool because it is so simple, it makes me want to look at how the profit or benefit is calculated. What goes in to the profit side and what are my assumptions regarding the investment? In the previous example, the investment is simple. We're looking at a lump sum of cash growing in value over one year. What if it's more complicated? In an earlier podcast, I mentioned that I asked students in my class if they were getting their money's worth out of the course I was teaching. I pointed out that they were investing dollars in course fees, also their very valuable time, and they were giving up being able to perform something else while they were in class or preparing for class. There was an opportunity cost. I asked them to look at all these factors as part of their investment in themselves and then project a profit or a set of benefits. The students took it seriously because they thought the questions were 
uh, reasonable and pertinent. Most of the students focused on the benefit part of the equation and told me how their salaries would increase because their master's degrees would enable them to apply for higher level positions in their respective fields. However, three of the students chose to dig into defining their investments more clearly, and two of the three prior to the next class had refinanced their student loans in order to reduce the cost of their investments. So let's apply ROI to a personal return situation and then to a work-related project investment situation. For our personal example, let's assume that you are working but want to shift careers to something that requires some additional knowledge, some certification, but it doesn't have to be a lengthy time frame or process. You search the internet and find uh, prep courses for licensing, degree programs, online certification offerings, and general degree offerings that would lead to some sort of career in your chosen area. It could be hospitality management, healthcare, real estate, or IT. Some field involving a combination of technical expertise and interpersonal organizational skills. The costs range from several thousand dollars and a lengthy time commitment for the degree programs to a limited time commitment and funds that could come out of your current operating budget. In this situation, the investment includes more than a lump sum cash payment. An investment in a degree program would involve loans, interest payments, and costs that stretch over a number of years. Your time has a value and should be at least estimated, even if it's only at minimum wage. My experience is that if you don't include some value for your time, you may feel that your calculations are incomplete later on. And in case you're wondering if, from a financial soundness perspective, including these factors or variables is appropriate, I quote from Leopold Bernstein's Analysis of Financial Statements, which is an authoritative book. There is no one generally accepted measure of capital investment on which the rate of return is computed. The different concepts of investment reflect different objectives. So with that intellectual freedom, let's include three categories of investment. One, dollars you will spend to get trained or certified. Two, time you're committing. Three, any dollars you consider to be lost because you couldn't be working on these things while you were getting trained or certified, your opportunity costs. Using these categories, here is a sample summary of investment costs for the real estate industry. The costs range from the high of a bachelor's business degree from Cornell University at $202,536 over a four-year time period. That's from U.S. News and World Report plus your time and opportunity costs. A middle point is a commercial real estate certificate, also from Cornell University, at 3600 over a six-month time period. And finally, the least expensive alternative, prep courses for a real estate license ranging from $50 to $250 over six weeks. Now, what are the potential projected benefits? A Google search of entry-level salaries for real estate and hospitality industry positions ranged from $33,000 to $42,000. What level of investment makes sense for a $42,000 profit? And remember that the profit is after the expenses are paid. 
expenses such as the student loan principal and interest on that loan. Summing it up, the potential benefit is roughly $40,000 annually. We'll just stick to the numbers here. The potential investments range from over $200,000 in four years to under $1,000 in less than two months. You are now clear about the financial variables, the benefits, and the costs. And the analysis has set the stage for you to investigate alternatives based on your objectives, your sense of what is realistic, your personal preferences, and your translation of your career goals into financial decisions and action. Now, let's look at a business example at a summary level. For the record, this was an actual project that was undertaken by one of my former students, and he presented the results in class. Assume that you have recently been promoted to an operations position at a small college, and you've been asked to look at ways to save money through energy efficiency. You know from personal experience that one of the older classroom buildings is always uncomfortable, it has an ancient heating and air conditioning system, and any benefits there would be highly visible to the college community. A quick review of the situation shows the heating and air conditioning, HVAC, expenses are at $80,000 a year. A new high-efficiency HVAC system would reduce those expenses by 45%, or $36,000. The new system would cost 76500 Applying the ROI formula, we divide the 36000 by 76500 and produce an ROI of 47%. That number is so high that in this case, your only tasks are due diligence. You need to produce guarantees that the new system will behave as promised, that the installation costs are complete, nothing is left out, and that the warranties for the new equipment are satisfactory. The return is so high to not perform the project would be irresponsible. The point of these examples is that ROI is a great tool as long as you are very clear about your assumptions with regard to what constitutes the investment. We will do a follow-up ROI session in about a month in which we look at the investment side of the equation in more detail. There are ROI formulas that contain nuances. Remember that I said earlier that finance is peeling the onion. We haven't looked at how ROI measures the effectiveness of management in more refined ways. Two variations on ROI are return on assets, ROA, and return on equity, ROE. Those are excellent measures for looking at the effectiveness of how management uses money. Another return that we will look at at that time is internal rate of return. Internal rate of return behaves differently. For one thing, it incorporates time value of money. It does some net present valuing calculations. But in most finance books, it's often presented alongside ROI. I think it's important to understand the differences in order to know when to apply one formula and not the other. But again, we will look at this in the future. So let me give you a problem. We'll combine return on investment with our old friend time value of money from the first podcast. You've recently got an email from your bank advising you to set aside funds for a rainy day. 
you think it's a good idea and you're able to put $1,500 aside, but you put it into a brokerage account. After doing some research, you think you have a really good stock that others are not paying attention to, but you believe that it has a great upside potential and that it will perform well. And you're right. Additionally, you are fortunate enough to not have to touch that stock as the years roll by. The stock you have selected ends up producing an average return of 23% a year. That's not a common return. It's a very high return, but it does happen. And that happens over a 25-year period. Some years are higher, some years are lower, but the average is 23%. My question to you is, what is the value of your initial $1,500 at the end of those 25 years? We're assuming that no additions have been made. I will take a crack at the problem, and I will post my answer on my website, finframeworks.com. For our next podcast, we'll look at the fourth area, cash flow and budgeting. That will complete our cycle of the four lenses. I hope that you have found our discussion of return on investment interesting and at least a little challenging. Being challenged is a good thing. For those of you to whom things like ROI is challenging, I offer you some words from Henry James regarding work. He wrote long, complicated novels. However, when asked about how he did his work, he was very succinct. He said, We work in the dark. We do what we can. We give what we have. That seems familiar to me. I hope this has been helpful, and I look forward to bringing you Podcast 7. Mike Lee Hinn.